We're going to be continuing look at John chapter 8, actually finishing up chapter, chapter 8 today. Uh, we're continuing looking at this conflict between Jesus and his opponents, and we're going to specifically focus on that conflict today. Uh, the title of today's sermon is The Devil's Defense, John chapter 8, 48 through 59, if you're following along in your Bibles. Everyone's familiar with uh, Aqaba, maybe not, the fort in Jordan, uh, Lawrence of Arabia, maybe that rings, rings some bells. Uh, Aqaba in 1917 was a, a fort in Jordan, in the town of Aqaba, and seemed impregnable because an enemy vessel approaching the port would have to face a battery of huge naval guns above the town. Behind Aqaba, in every direction, lay barren, waterless, inhospitable desert. To the east lay the deadly anvil of the sun. Uh, so because of these factors, the Turks believed Aqaba to be safe from any attack whatsoever, just impenetrable. However, they were wrong. If you've seen the movie Lawrence of Arabia, you know Lawrence of Arabia led a force of irregular Arab cav- cavalry across the anvil of the sun from the least expected place that they thought they would come from. Together, they rallied the support among the local people, and on July 6, 1917, the Arab forces swept into Aqaba from the north from the blind side. A climactic moment in the movie, if you've seen the movie, uh, is this long panning shot of the Arabs on their camels and their horses as they're charging past the guns. So the guns were faced where? In the wrong direction. Couldn't do anything. Absolutely useless. And because of that, the Turkish hold on Palestine was broken. It was replaced by the the British mandate. And then eventually, we know, became the state of Israel. They failed to defend it because they made really two, they had two mistakes, two mistakes. First of all, they didn't have the right weapons because, of course, the guns were, were pointing in the right direction. Uh, the second and more bigger mistake was they didn't know their enemy. They didn't know their enemy. And, and war historians talk about this quite often, um, that the success to any attack is to understand your enemy. Understand how, how is he going to retaliate? Understand the tactics that he's going to use. Folks, what I want us to realize is that as soon as you and I believe in Jesus Christ, you and I enter into a battle, don't we? We have now entered onto the front lines of a war. And Satan has certain ways that he is going to attack. Actually, in the passage that we're going to look at today, these are ways that he retaliates. Jesus has been confronting his opponents. What is he confronting his opponents with? The truth. And now they've kind of been backed up into a corner, haven't they? It's kind of like the Wizard of Oz. All of a sudden, the curtain has been pulled back, and Jesus says to them, you don't belong to Abraham. You don't belong to God. I'll tell you who you belong to, Satan. And Satan has been uncovered. Now he's out in the open. The truth is out there. He's been kind of pushed back into this corner. And I, we, we've been talking about 
everything about discipleship and what Jesus is saying about who he is, and we're going to hit on that. However, we're going to kind of flip it around today. And we're going to look at how Satan retaliates against the truth of what Jesus is saying, because that's exactly what is happening here. Jesus says something, the Jews say or do something. They retaliate against the person of Christ and against the truth. Been pushed into a corner, and he's going to fight back. And, and we just have to realize that this is what happens when you and I go out into the world and we proclaim the truth of who Jesus is. And we need to be prepared so that we are not caught unaware. So we're going to look at three retaliations today. Three retaliations. The first one found in verses 48 through 51, is slander. Satan likes to slander. Verses 48 through 51. So Jesus had just told them that they belong to Satan. Pulled the curtain back. This is their response to to him. The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not rightly say? Aren't we correct in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Remember, being young, I hope you don't do this anymore, but remember when you were young, you used to get in an argument with people, and maybe they were saying some truths about you, maybe they were uncovering some truth about you. How did you sometimes handle that argument if you couldn't respond in an intellectual manner? What, what, do, we, what do we like to do? What's the best way to win an argument? If you, can't, if you can't win an argument intellectually, if you can't win an argument with the truth or with the facts, then just make fun of the people. Right? So maybe like this lady here, someone calls you immature and you say, oh yeah, well you're ugly and your mom dresses you funny. You always go to the mom jokes. Mom jokes always seem to get people upset and keep them off their guard. Uh, One guy gives a a few examples of ways that you can kind of just disarm an individual if they're backing you up into a corner. You can say something like, well, if you're going to be two-faced, at least make one of them pretty. Let's say, guys, if you say that to your wife, You're going to be sleeping outside in the cold weather. How about this one? I was going to give you a nasty look, but I see that you already have one. Or I could say some nice things about you, but I would rather tell you the truth. Groucho Marx once said, we know this one, I never forget a face, but in your case, I'll definitely make an exception. It's a great comeback, especially it beats a simple, uh, you're ugly. How about this one? If, if, you, if you're talking kind of foolish and they say something about the way that you're talking, you can say, I know that I'm talking like an idiot, but I have to, or else you wouldn't understand what I'm saying. Clever way of saying someone is stupid, or you must confuse me with someone who cares. And then, of course, the classic, I would engage in a battle of wits with you. However, I never attack someone who is unarmed. And if they're as stupid as you say they are, they want to be able to figure that out. Why do we do that? We're losing. You're losing an argument. You get backed up into a corner. What do you do? You, you, you attack someone's character. You slander them. 
This is exactly what is going on right here in our passage. They are attacking the character of Jesus Christ. I, I have no idea where they came up with the fact that he's a Samaritan. That is just not true. There's really no other place where they call Jesus a Samaritan. But they call him a Samaritan. It's kind of like one attack in one. They call him a Samaritan, they, and, and people, they would assume that Samaritans were crazy. And because of what the Samaritans believed about God and about the proper way to worship, we know that Jesus dresses the Samaritan woman, that they, they thought they were nuts and had a demon. So it's kind of, it's two attacks, but kind of one attack. Uh, but if we split it up, we can see that they're attacking Jesus' heritage or his lineage, right? his character and calling him a half-breed, so to speak. And they're attacking his spirituality, aren't they? They're attacking his spirituality. And basically, Jesus attacked their lineage, didn't he? He said, you're not related to Abraham, and you're definitely not related to God. So now they're getting him one up, or they're trying to one up him. And they're like, oh yeah, well, you're a, you're a Samaritan. Yeah, how about that? And you got a demon. What is the point? What, why are they doing that? Why do people do that? They're trying to discredit him. They're trying to discredit him. They're trying to discredit his character. And in doing so, discredit the truth. Because if someone is like that, especially in Jesus' time, right? Because we know the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Remember when Jesus was with the woman at the well? And she goes, why are you a Jew asking me a Samaritan? So what is going to happen if people start to believe this little slander? They're going to step back. Oh, wait a second. I, I can't associate with a Samaritan. The religious people. The rulers of our day are calling Jesus crazy. They're saying that he is demon-possessed. So it's, it's a, it's a, you would not want to associate with an individual like this. It's kind of a low blow, but there's a point behind it. And it is something that Satan continues to do today. What is really, really interesting in this passage is that Jesus just said that they are of the, their father, the devil, What's the word devil? It is diablos. What does the word diablos mean? Slanderer. They're proving his point. It is exactly what Satan is going to do to Christians. The problem is with Christianity, uh, the problem is, is that we kind of give in to that, those, those truths sometimes. They're half-truths. They're not always true. We kind of contribute to those things, but what's going to happen is Satan is going to use these generalizations. He's going to call us names. He's going to make fun of us. And in doing so, people are not going to want to associate with us or believe the truth that you and I have to say. Sure, we heard some of these words before, so maybe we're not called Samaritans, maybe we're not saying that we're demon-possessed, but we're going to talk about that in a second. How about arrogant? Christians are arrogant. Christians are hypocrites. I'm sure we've, we've heard that one before. How about Christians are haters? That's a, a strong word that is being used right now. Christians are bigots. They are racist. They are unloving. They are intolerant. What's happening? 
just dropping these big words. Do we want to be called those things? No. Are they true? No. Do people believe them to be true? Yes. Absolutely. Satan's going to call into question our reputation. The goal is don't give them fuel for the fire, right? I mean, because sometimes we, we may be these things. But it's a broad stroke. It's a generalization. And he uses it to get people to be like, oh, I don't want to want to be called a hater. I don't want to be called a racist. I don't want to be called a bigot. And people begin to believe that and they step away. And they don't want to social, or even, even worse, it gets in our own heads, doesn't it? And what happens is when it gets in our own heads, we start thinking, wait a second, I, I'm, I don't want to be this way. And he does that and he keeps Whittling away till eventually we compromise. And when people are asked questions, so do you believe that this is a sin? Do you believe that God doesn't like this? Do you believe, and, we're, and we start to say things like, well, the Bible isn't really clear on that, even though it is. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave that up to God to judge, even though God has stated clearly in his word. The goal of slandering is to discredit what people are saying and to discredit the character themselves. But I also want you to, to see also, again, Satan is going to do this, and he's done it from the start. He flips it, doesn't he? He calls Jesus is the one with the demon. Jesus is the one who is working for me. That is his goal, is to just reverse everything. We are the bad ones. We are the ones who are actually fighting against God, and we're going to see where it ends up here. He calls Jesus a demon, or says that he has a demon. And basically, he's saying that he is, you must be possessed. If you're going to say this about us, if you're going to say this, that we don't belong to Abraham, that we don't belong to God, you, you must be nuts. You must be a lunatic. He calls into question his character. He calls into question his spirituality. He calls into question whether or not he's speaking the truth. And it is all an attack against the truth. He makes people think that Jesus and Christians are the ones who are carrying out the works of the devil. He flips it, and now God Almighty is demon-possessed. He makes people think that in refusing the truth, they are actually on the side of good. We know that it says this. Eventually, they will call what? They will call evil good, and they will call good evil. You're seeing it happen there, and you're seeing it happen today. Christians are the evil ones. Christians are on the side of Satan. Others are on the side of truth. I want you to see, however, how Jesus responds with this. And this is a really good point for us, and Jesus is establishing his identity once again here, specifically his superiority over Abraham and over the prophets, and we're going to continue along in that. But look at how Jesus responds to this. I want you to see that he doesn't come back with a comeback, does he? 
And sometimes we want to do that. And we have to remember that the attack isn't against us, is it? It's against the truth. It's not against us. Don't take it personally. Jesus doesn't take it personally. He actually just says, I don't have a demon. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. So you can deny the accusation. He just responds to them kindly. And he says, I don't have a demon. And then what he says afterwards is going to help us as you and I talk to people about the truth. Who is he out to honor? He's out to honor God. And we know that Satan is out to honor himself, and we know that people who are following, following him are out to honor themselves. If you and I are in it for God's glory, then we're going to handle these attacks properly, aren't we? You and I have to keep that in our minds. Our whole goal is not ourself. It's not my reputation. It's not what, I don't care what people think about me. As long as I'm not contributing to the slander, right? As long as, the, as long as there's no truth behind the slander. And we have to make sure there's no truth behind the slander. Our goal is to honor God. Our goal is to glorify Him. It doesn't matter what people think about us. And if we keep that in the back of our minds, then you and I are going to respond appropriately when we're attacked by these individuals. We're going to respond in kindness. We're going to respond in love. We're going to say, hey, I'm not in it for myself. I'm going to follow what Jesus does here. It says, I do not seek my own glory. Again, great example. Someone who does seek his glory, and that's God the Father. And that is our goal. Our goal is God's glory and Jesus' glory. And the goal of the gospel. But notice what he says afterwards. And one who judges. We have to realize that one day, and this reminds me of what Paul says to the Corinthian church, don't worry about the outsiders. Don't judge them. Leave them to God. Leave them to God. You guys worry about yourselves. Make sure you're not contributing to that. Leave them to God. God's going to take care of them. Isn't that the, the truth that we, you and I live by every day? That, yeah, look, we're being called nuts. We're being called fanatics. We're being called haters. We're being called... But guess what? One day, it's all going to come to light, folks. How do you get by every day? This. God's going to judge evil. It's going to happen. And because it's going to happen, you and I can take attacks all day long doesn't matter. Because we got to remember, keep in the back of our minds, our fight is not against those individuals. It's not. It's against the one who's behind them. But notice what Jesus does next. I absolutely love what Jesus did. <laughs> Here they are. These guys want to kill him. <laughs> they want to kill him. And they, we, they don't follow through with that at the end of this, don't they? They want to kill him. They're making fun of him. They're calling into question his identity, everything about him, and now now they're insulting him in public, and he gives them the gospel. (laughs) They want to kill him. He offers them life. Again, Jesus gives an invitation, and it, it just blows my mind because that's the priority. Even the ones who are his opponents, he wants them to believe. He says, look, hey, if you keep my word, you're not going to see death. Wow. He doesn't come back with a quick comeback or anything like that. He actually offers them life. I'm sorry, I'm getting all worked up right now. I'm going to pass out from the stake. I just, I always find that he always goes back to this over 
and over and over and over again. Because he loves them. And he knows. What does he know? What, what does he say from the cross? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He knows they don't understand. It reminds me of the Second Timothy verse. How are our opponents to be dealt with? Opponents must be dealt with gently. Opponents must be gently instructed. Listen to this. In the hope that God will grant them what? Repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. That they will come to their senses, who are the crazy ones, sorry, not crazy, but who are out of their senses, that they'll come to their senses. Why? Escaping the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against this guy. And he hates the truth, and he'll do anything to stop it. But you and I, our response is not to make fun of people. It's not to make fun of them. We can challenge their lies, but we do so respectfully, we do so gently, and in the process, offer them the gospel, because that's what it's all about. The second retaliation that we see here is he sows. So he slanders and he sows, verses 52 through 56. So again, this is a response to what Jesus just said about never seeing death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, and the prophets also. You say, if anyone keeps my word... He'll never taste death. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. Prophets died. The prophets died too. Who do you think you are? Or whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It's my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. And you have not come to know him. I do know him. And if I say that I don't know him... I'd be a liar like you, but I do know him, and I keep his word. And by the way, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it, and he was glad. A guy tells a story about a phrase that his father used to say to him quite often. It was, plant the seed of doubt. Watch it grow. He said he heard this phrase from his father repeatedly. He said when a news story would air about some information or a potential scandal or gossip would filter through the grapevine, he'd make a point to tell me that there was a seed of doubt that was planted, planted in the minds of those who heard it. The guy said it took years for him to understand exactly what he was meant by this and how he used these situations to create teachable moments. What he was saying is that what was said or the accusation or the argument against the truth may or may not be true. 
Nevertheless, there was a perception that was formed, and perception was what mattered. Even if the person was found innocent of a scandal or the information or the gossip, and all that turned out to be false, there was a seed of doubt that was planted in the minds of the people who heard it. They would continue to think, ah, this might be true. Perception was important. They would believe it even if the facts stated otherwise. You could be confronted with the truth, but still believe the lie. Planting a seed will do nothing unless it is watered. We all know that. Water takes the form of attention, sometimes fear, focusing on the seed and what could happen or the Lie of the seed is a waste of time. All it does is increase the perception that it is true. The better alternative is to tear it out of your mind. Forget about it. Don't allow the seed of doubt to take root and grow. Folks, there are seeds of doubt being sown all over the place. I want you to pick up on what they say here. Number one, they reinforce the demon thing, don't they? Now we... No, you have a demon. And people who are hearing this begin to doubt his character. People who think that Jesus is crazy begin to doubt the truth that he is saying. But I want you to see what they say right after this. They say, surely, absolutely not. This cannot be so. That's impossible. Surely you can't be serious. Surely, you cannot be greater than Abraham. Surely, you can't be greater than the prophets. I will tell you one thing, folks. Satan does not want you to believe that Jesus is unique. Satan wants you to lump Jesus in with everybody else. Surely Jesus can't be better than Gandhi. Surely he can't be better than Muhammad. Surely he can't be better than Oprah Winfrey. Surely Jesus can't be better than these guys. Surely Jesus is just like everybody else. Surely this can't be true. Surely Jesus isn't greater than Abraham. Surely Jesus isn't fill in the blank. Isn't that what he does? This is about Abraham and the prophets, but Jesus, they, Satan wants to lump Jesus in with everyone else. Jesus isn't unique. Jesus isn't special. There's nothing different about Jesus. He's just another religious leader, and he cannot save you. Because if you call into question his identity, you call into question what he can do for you, don't you? And this is all about Jesus establishing his superiority over Abraham, over the prophets, really over everyone. Satan doesn't want you to believe that Jesus is unique. Satan doesn't want you to believe that Jesus is better than anyone. It's his number one target is the person and work of Jesus Christ. And he is going to throw out all of these questions, all of these doubts in people's minds to undermine that truth and that reality. Be ready. And what happens here 
happens has happened ever has happened since the beginning of this world. I want you to think about that word surely. There are two words. So this this word in the Greek, we're going to do a little quick Greek lesson. So bear with me. I I don't usually like doing Greek lessons, but this kind of made me think about something. Uh, so two two strong negatives in the Greek, u and may. U may. So bear with may for a little bit while I tell you this. Sorry, you like that. Thanks, Ian. Ian just laughs all the time at my little puns. So, and when they're combined, when ume are combined, they, it's a double negative. It's one of the strongest negatives in, in the Greek language. So this is the second one. This is may, and then there's the other one, u. So this means it's not possible for this idea to happen. This is impossible. It's a, it's a definitive. It's an assertion. It's not a questioning. So don't get me wrong. Sometimes we're going to have doubts. That's okay. We can question those things as long as we are seeking what? The truth in those doubts. This is an assertion that this can't be. The other word, ooh, guess where it's found? Guess where the negative? And that negative denies the fact. So it denies the fact. You know where it's found? In that verse right there. Where's that verse at? Genesis 3-4. Who says that? Satan. Surely you won't die. And he has been doing it ever since. He wants to call into question God's word. He wants to call into question the person of Jesus Christ. And he wants to call into question the work of Jesus Christ. And he's a master at it. Surely God didn't really say that. Surely this can't be so. Surely Jesus isn't special. He's mastered the art of planting seeds of doubt. I remember a guy came onto the scene, Christian scene, a few years back. Had a real popular ministry. People were flocking all over the place. New Christian, you know how Christians tend to flock. <laughs> They're sheep. So they just go to these, kept going to this guy, and he had this big event one time, and he had a quote from Gandhi. And, yeah, so you're like, yeah, why Gandhi? I don't know. Gandhi has some, you know, I guess good, some wisdom maybe. I don't know. I'm not going to, you know, completely poo-poo the guy. But anyway, someone, someone read the quote in the church, and they wrote something on it. Now, this, I don't recommend this way, but they said, you know, hey, heads up, Gandhi's in hell. You don't want to do that. Don't come right out and do that. I, I want to focus on the result of what happened to that. So this guy who had this big ministry read that quote and basically started saying, really, is he? Do we know that? Are you sure? And what happened, because of that note, he began to research this, and then he ends up writing a book. It's called Love Wins, and basically it's Christian universalism. Everyone's going to heaven because of what Jesus has done. There's a way to ask questions, and then there's a way to ask questions that undermine the truth, and that is exactly what these guys are doing here. It all begins with doubt. I just picked four of these, and it seems like that Time magazine has one hell of an editor. Sorry, it's, uh, 
Satan is behind, and nothing has changed over time. Because I picked four of these, because these are the little seeds of doubt. And I, I, he has a program. His program is against the person of Jesus Christ. And we remember, I don't know if they, they still have those magazines out on the racks anymore. I don't, I don't think they're in circulation, do they? Has anyone seen time? Is it just digital? Okay, so they got, and you know what it's like, and you're going by, and you're, you know, you're looking at the Milky Way, you're looking at the Snickers bar, whatever it is, and then you see the Time magazine. All you need to do is read the front cover, and that seed has been planted in people's minds. Here's some of the front covers. I just picked four. There's, there's plenty. There's pl- it's like every year, Time magazine comes out with something against Jesus Christ. Jesus at 2000, novelist Reynolds Price offers a new gospel based on archaeological evidence. A new gospel? Oh, you mean there's another gospel other than the one that I'm familiar with? How about this one? The search for Jesus. Some scholars are debunking the gospels. What are Christians to believe? Oh, no. What am I to believe? What? Oh, no. Someone is debunking the gospel? Satan, so. Do you hear the fear that gets into your mind? What, are, what am I to believe? Who do I turn to? Time magazine? Do you know? How about this one? Why did Jesus have to die? That's a great question. That's a great question. Left without the subtitle, the subheading, great question. I'll tell you why Jesus had to die. It's because we're all sinners. It's because we've offended a holy God, but God loves us so much that he sent his son, who is God incarnate, to take on flesh and suffer the penalty of sin so that you and I can live forever with him. That's why Jesus had to die. What do they say? The reasons behind his sacrifice are debated anew. Oh, do you mean there's other reasons that people are giving that Jesus had to die? Thank you, Time Magazine, for for bringing that. And then how about this one? Of course, you have to hit Genesis. And God said, betrayal, jealousy, and careerism. Not quite sure why. Maybe they thought Abraham just wanted to climb the spiritual ladder. Or that would be Jacob, sorry. They're they're all in the Bible's first book. Now there is a spirited new debate over the meaning of Genesis. I'll tell you what, it ain't new, is it? Those things have been debated since Genesis. But it is spirited. Because we know who's behind it. All someone has to do is walk by that aisle and and read those. And then maybe, maybe they were questioning Christianity. Maybe they were wondering about Christianity, and they'll just say, maybe I'll just pick this up. He gets you to question the truth. Jesus comes right out, he says, it, he says look, if, I'm, if I tell you anything different, again, he goes back to God glorifying him. He goes, if I tell you anything different, I'm the one who's lying. Jesus is just telling them the truth. They're the ones who are lying. They're the ones who are attacking the truth. And then Jesus kind of sums it up for them. He says, I'll tell you what. Abraham 
The guy who you think is on your side, uh-uh. He rejoiced to see my day. Now, now, you see that now, now you're, these guys are getting upset because we're going to see what happens next. Jesus responds to them with the truth again and then lays out a truth bomb, something that makes them absolutely apoplectic, very, very upset. The third retaliation is Satan wants to just shut us up. He wants to silence us. Verses 57 through 59. So again, they respond to what Jesus says. So the Jews said to him, you are not 50 years old and have you seen Abraham? No way. Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Their response? They picked up stones to throw at him. Yet he hid himself and went out of the temple. So the Jews respond and they say, look, there's absolutely no way. There's no way, again, that you are older than Abraham. Jesus gives them an answer. It is definitely not the answer that they wanted to hear. As a matter of fact, it is this answer that has had ramifications ever since. It is not who Jesus thinks he is. And this answers the question, who do you say that you are? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus says, it's not who I think I am. It is who I am. And that is, I am. And these guys are real upset. It is the same statement that God uses to identify himself in the burning bush. Who should I say sent me? God says, I am. Jesus says it here in this fashion and in this context, and they know exactly what he is talking about, and this is the truth that Satan doesn't want you to hear. Is Jesus special? Is Jesus unique? Can Jesus offer us life? Absolutely. Why? Because he's the great I am. And no one else on earth can do it. No one before him, no one after him. It is only Jesus. He is like no, ever, like no one ever, and there will never be anyone like him. Humanity hangs on this person. Humanity and our salvation hang on this statement. The reason why Jesus can offer us life is because he's the creator and the author of it. He's God. And that is the one truth that Satan does not want you to believe. And that Satan will do at anything to stop. There was blasphemy. And that's why they, they are attacking Jesus. And this, this makes it real scary. Because when people think they are in the right, when people think they are on the side of good, when people think they are on the side of truth, when people think they are fighting for God, they're willing to kill for it. And you and I need to be prepared for that. And when we say something that disagrees with that worldview, look at the result. These, these guys think they're doing God a service 
by killing Jesus. They will stop at nothing to keep him quiet. And you and I see it all the time now, don't we? I remember when I first got a job at Long Creek. Might have shared this before, but I had bumper stickers, Christian bumper stickers. I'm sure some people have Christian bumper stickers. And I remember walking down into the office and uh, meeting people. And I met a girl. She pulled me aside. She said, I see by your bumper stickers, <laughs> you're a Christian. Hopefully, by my love at one point, you know. But she said, I see by your, 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 you know, you're a Christian. She goes, we don't talk about those things in here. We don't talk about those things. Brian, you're laughing because you probably know who it is. We don't, we don't talk about, and I, you know, I just kind of responded kindly. I was just like, well, okay, but if the kid brings it up, I'll be sure to mention it. <laughs> and I just, you know, and the other guys who were with me kind of, they were like, don't listen to what she's saying, you know. But you can tell, what's the goal? Keep this shut, right? Keep my mouth shut. I'm okay as long as I fall in line, as long as I say things that people like to hear, I'm okay. I've been following the, the whole Joe Rogan thing. I just was thinking about that as I was thinking about this today. And I'm thinking, so, so if you're not following the whole Joe Rogan thing, he's on Spotify and he's been accused of, of uh, disseminating misinformation about, about COVID. Whether or not what he's saying is true or right or whatever, I don't know. And Joe Rogan is, is pretty anti-Christian. Um, however, even though he, he is, he, he's those things and he says those things, let the guy talk. But this is what's happening. People, it's peer pressure. They're pulling out from Spotify so that he stops what? Talking. What does Satan, now this has nothing, but eventually it's coming. It's coming, folks. As a matter of fact, it's north of the border right now, isn't it? Canada has hate speech laws. Hate speech laws. There was a pastor who was arrested. Now, he was outside. He was preaching the gospel. He didn't do it in, in a great way, not probably a way that I would do it, but that's not the point. The point is, is he started getting attacked by kind of a mob, and they arrested him for disturbing the peace against their hate laws. We have to understand Satan wants to keep us quiet. We can come to church, we can say our prayers, we can read the Bible, but you start going out and preaching the gospel, uh-uh. He's going to have absolutely none of it. And he's going to do whatever it takes to stop you from talking. Maybe he's not making laws. Maybe he's using other things. Maybe he's just made us apathetic to it. Maybe we don't want to ruffle the feathers. Maybe we don't want people to think badly of us. Maybe we're afraid. He's winning. As long as we don't go out and say that Jesus is special, as long as we don't go out and say that Jesus is God incarnate and came to save us from our sins, 
as long as we don't go out and uncover the truth of the one who's behind all of these lies, he uses a variety of tactics to keep us quiet, sowing seeds of doubt. Maybe you're not trained enough, he says, right? You don't know enough to go out and preach the gospel. You got to take, you got to take an evangelism class. You need to go to Bible college in order to preach the gospel. Maybe you're too much of a sinner. Oh, you really messed up. Who are you to tell people about Jesus Christ? You're a freak show. Look at you. You're a mess. How are you going to help anybody? But it, it works. It works. Right now, folks, there are people being persecuted and killed all over the world for preaching the gospel. He will stop at nothing to stop God's program. There was a blasphemy, and it was against him. He doesn't want anyone else getting the glory. He wants to be God. Listen to what Jesus says later on, and this is where it gets dangerous. We'll cover this in depth when we get to John 16 too. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, there is a time coming when anyone who kills you think that they are offering a service to God Almighty. That's how Satan is going to flip it around. Oh, if we kill these Christians, we get them to stop talking, we're kind of doing the right thing, aren't we? This doesn't mean that we retaliate. It means that we be prepared for it. It means that we don't give in to the ways that he tries to quiet us, and we respond as the disciples responded. Ah, it's up to you whether we obey man or God, but we're going to obey God in this situation. We don't stop preaching the gospel. It's because Jesus is the great I am that he can do all those things that he promised us. He's unique. He's special. He's the only one who can satisfy our spiritual thirst. He's the only one who can satisfy our spiritual hunger. He's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. And it's only through him that you and I can enter into God's fold. Why? Because he's the great I am. And Satan doesn't want anyone to hear that. So he'll do anything to stop it. But notice what happens next. And it's a good reminder for us. You and I are going to be attacked in this world. Satan's going to retaliate against the truth. Did they get Jesus? No. Why? wasn't his time. Who was watching over him? His father. Who's watching over us? The father. God is with us. God's with us until, until our time. But no matter what, during that time, you and I preach the truth and he wants us to be aware this is a battle. He wants us to be aware the tactics of our enemy. 
wants us to be aware that the devil uses many, many, many strategies, just a few that are mentioned here, to retaliate against the truth. But you and I need to remember who's our enemy. Is it, again, is it the ones that he's using? No, it's him. Spiritual forces. But he uses them. He uses them to retaliate against the truth, slander, sowing seeds of doubt, and eventually shutting us up, keeping us quiet. Uses them as they are held captive by him, fulfilling his campaign. He doesn't want us to believe the truth, folks. He doesn't want us to speak the truth, and he definitely doesn't want others to hear the truth. And as you and I defend and fight for the truth, you better believe he's going to fight and defend for his lie. Father, Lord, without you, we are helpless in this battle. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Give us boldness. Give us courage. Lord, help us to not back down when He retaliates against us. Help us to keep on fighting the good fight. Help us to keep on preaching the gospel, the truth that Satan doesn't want people to hear. Lord, help us to do so not for our glory or our honor, seeking to uphold our reputation, but for you. Please help us to do it in gentleness. Please help us to do it in love. Help us to do it in kindness. But help us to do it without fear. Help us to do it knowing that our times are in your hands. Help us to go forth into this world and proclaim that Jesus is the great I am. And that in Him, if we see Him for who He truly is, we'll never see death. Is it in your, His precious and powerful name we pray? Amen.